On today's show, we talk to a man who's heartbroken because his buddy took his own life. We talk to a new wife who's trying to set boundaries with her parents. And we talk to a mom of two young kids who's trying to separate loving them and jealousy among siblings. Stay tuned. What up? What up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show, a show for you, about you, by you. It's a caller-driven show where we talk about real challenges in real people's lives. Folks I've never met before who are calling from all over planet Earth to uh, check in and walk alongside me and me walk alongside you as we try to figure out what's going on with our mental health, our relationships, and schools, and parenting, grief, all of it, right? All of it. So, so glad you joined us. There's about 11 billion podcasts, and you picked this one, so I'm so grateful for you. For those of you who are listening to this at one and a half speed or two speed, <laughs> I recognize I talk fast. So my buddy of mine was like, man, you talk so fast. And then I asked him if he was watching it at one X or, I mean, at one and a half or two X speed. And he's like, oh, yeah, you talk fast regularly. So you may want to put this one back on one speed, and then it will feel like it's two X because I talk real fast. But we're so glad you're here. It's good to see everybody in the booth. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite people on planet Earth is walking in front of the booth right now. It makes my heart feel good. Hey, Kelly, James, listen. Last night I got home, me and James, I think it's time to break it to the world. We're in a pretty awesome metal band. And um, I don't really know how to say we're taking over Earth, but we are. And after our practice last night, that went into the wee hours of the morning. And by wee hours of the morning, I mean like 730. Um it was it was nighttime, right? We went outside and we watched the sunset just as the as a band. James put his shirt back on and um, changed out of his leather pants and just like into jeans and uh, covered up some of his tattoos. And then we we I went home and I got out of the car out of my truck and my daughter was weeping and that could be any number of things. And I said, "What's wrong?" Oh no, my wife had planned this um, Olympic watch event with the kids and so. They went upstairs, uh, and the chicken doors didn't close all the way. And my two dogs, oh, man, it was not great. It was not great. My son, man, it was devastating. He, we got these things as chicks, as, like, little bitty peep-peeps. And they, it's been nine months now, and, like, this is the, their egg-laying month. Every day, twice a day, feeding them, training them. Oh, man. Was it, are they all gone? No, several, man. And then it's my dogs and they are great. And, but they come up to you like they've just helped out. And that didn't end well. I mean, oh, geez Louise. And I just get out of the car and it's crying and tears and heartbreak. And then I got sad and I'm kind of a side hustle prepper. And I'd kind of planned on, you know, if it all goes down, we got eggs and now we don't. We'll have egg. <laughs> we'll just have a, you know, anyway. I put out a call to see if we can get some more chickens, but it was a heartbreak night for our family. Oh, That's well. rough, man. What do you do? That You've is very had, sad. As a former chicken owner. Yeah, ours was a different kind of trauma because I had to cull several of our chickens. That oh, were so sickly. you're the murderer. Yep. Wow. You had to cull. That's such a uh, I know. distancing scientific word for, whoa. I didn't know. I was, I was Googling, like, how to um, handle chickens at the end of their life and realize there's this fancy, you know, whitewashed term for it and... It it's like great. when people uh, go hunting and they harvest. Eh, that's, I don't know. This is why I buy my eggs in the store like a normal <laughs> human. <laughs> I don't have to deal with this. Wow. 
Hmm. We'll see when it all goes down who's knocking on whose door, right? Actually, I'll probably knock on your door because... Because the infiltrators... Yeah, you will, don't have any eggs. The, what are you going to do? The infiltrators will just walk right past Kelly's house. They'll be like, all right, let's go to this. And then the the, the general will be like, no, nah, we want to skip that house. We're good. We'll go to the next one. So it's good. Whew. All right. So we're we're working through it. All right. Let's go to uh, Rich in Chicago. Hey, Rich. What's up, man? Hey, Dr. D. What's going on? We're, man, we are getting through, dude. How about you, man? I'm just going to say that uh, eggs at the store are about a dollar a dozen. I'm just saying. I know, but if I raise the chickens myself, they're about $111 a dozen, right? <laughs> yeah, if, if you start doing the math on that stuff, it does not work out in the preppers' favor. Yeah, it does not. So it's ridiculous. It does, does not. But it is cool, and it's also, um, i got to walk through grief with my son. And Anyway, so it is what it is, man. How about you, brother? How can it's I help, man? Is. Well, um, I get a little brief history. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Okay. I've been in uh, recovery now for... For quite a while. I've been in recovery since 2007, um, working a 12-step program. Um, part of what we do in the program is it's one alcoholic working with another that seems to work where other things fail. And so we, we call it sponsorship, and it's um, it, it's kind of an integral part of both sides, uh, my recovery and the guys that I sponsor. And I have a sponsor and I have a grand sponsor and it just goes on and on. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of built up this community. How long have um, you been sober, man? Program. I've been sober uh, just under 14 years, be 14 years into the month. If, if, if I survive. Yeah. So. Can we uh, congratulate um, you, man? Can I just stop and say, I'm proud of you. Thank you. That's, that's tough, you. man. That's a long ride. Congratulations, man. It, uh, I burned down, uh, burned down our, uh, our finances and our relationship uh, 14 years ago and said no um, more, huh? Stood there in the ashes and my wife took my hand. We looked in each other's eyes and said, we're, we're going to be okay. And uh, started that process. And uh, it's uh, so far, so good. So yeah. far, so good. Well, brother, I'm, um, to call you a hero would be undermining the mission you and work you've done and your wife too. And so congratulations to you, man. All right. Well, sorry. A, a, a brought, AA brought me to God, and God brought me to AA, and that's just kind of the way it works. It's that, awesome, it's, man. Uh, Good for you, brother. Anyways, All right, so I interrupted um, you. Yeah, so, so we're, we're, you got a sponsor, a grand sponsor, you're sponsoring, and what brought you here today, man? Well, um guy came into the program about 10 years ago. Um, saw him struggling. He'd go uh, two years sober, relapse, two years mm-hmm. sober, relapse. About four years ago, he approached me and wanted me to, to help him, and so I began sponsoring him. And if you're familiar with the steps, we go through a process where they, they pretty much dump everything on us. I mean, they, they go through a process of inventory and, and uh, they lay it all out on the table and we go through it with them. And so basically I know more about the guy than, than anybody on the planet sure. uh, by the time we're through with that process, if he works it the way he's supposed to. And this guy, this guy did, I'm pretty confident he did. Yeah. Um, about three weeks ago, this guy took his own life. Ah, oh, man. I'm sorry, dude. Dang, dude. Yikes. And, uh, hmm. so it's just got, you know, it's obviously knocked the wind out of my sails. I mean, I've got a good community around me. I got good friends in and out of the program. We're, you know, we're working through it. It's still raw. It's three weeks out, but, uh, yeah, dude. and yeah. I, and I get that part, you know, and I also get the part where I don't have any control over the guy. I don't have any control over what's in his head and, and, uh, and any of that stuff. He, uh, the way we worked, what worked for him, um, we communicated daily. Mm. 
So we were tight. I mean, we were pretty close. And so we communicated on a Wednesday. Um, He didn't call Thursday, didn't call Friday. And I got a phone call from his daughter Saturday morning. No, 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 no outside indicators, nothing that was obvious to anybody. Now, I know that he did suffer from depression. He did have some anxiety issues. And I know he was seeing a professional about that. He was working on a a program outside of of ours, obviously. This is going to sound. um, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Um, So what I'm dealing with now is what am I doing? Yeah. This, this whole sponsorship thing, it's got me, it's, I'm back on my heels here. I, I just, I, I, I kind of shudder at the thought of picking up another sponsee. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a professional. I, I don't, you know, we don't deal with mental health issues. Well, I'm just a drunk trying to help another drunk. Yeah. And, when I'm faced with this kind of thing, you know, and my, my grand sponsor took me aside and, and we were at the visitation and he, he said, you can't take this personal. And I, I get the sentiment, but it's flipping personal. <sighs> yeah. It's real personal, man. Real personal. So your sponsor is trying to love you the best he can. And, um, but this is personal and trying not to take it personal is insane. Okay. Yeah. This is as personal as it gets. I want you to take this personal. I want you to let it sit in your heart. This this hurts. Okay. Um yeah. and first and foremost, dude, um, there's I'm sorry. I, I've been there. I've done too many memorial services for people I love. Um and I've sat I'm I'm sorry. Um have, have you wept yet? Have you sat in this yet? Oh yeah. Okay. All right, good. Oh yeah. I uh, um I, uh, his daughter asked me to do the eulogy at the funeral and, and, you know, when I went through that process, it was, it was, it was pretty cathartic for me. I mean, it was, it was cleansing for me. I was able to get past a lot of stuff just by writing that thing and getting up in front of the crowd and, and, and saying it out loud that, that helped me a lot. Um, and like I say, I've got, I've got super close friends in, in and out of the program. I've got a couple of buddies that, um, I call them my 2 a.m. friends. They're the guys that you call them no matter what time of night, and they're in your driveway. That's right. So, That's right. Um, I've, I've talked through all this with, with those guys, obviously through the community and the program, um, lots of support there. Yeah. But I think, I think I'm good. Yeah. Um, but there's that, there's that underlying kind of guilt thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, I've gone through the, the whole grieving situation, you know, where I was sad and I was upset and I was, and then I got angry, you know, why the hell didn't he call me? Um, yeah. that kind of thing. And, and now, I, now I you're think, in that futile wasteland. Yeah. You're back in ash and you've been in ashes before, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a difference between not taking this personal, which you should and blaming yourself. And those are two vastly different feelings and processes. Okay. There's no way in three weeks you've cycled through everything. You'll be cycling through stuff for a long time. Okay. And they'll cycle quick. You'll be pissed off and then you'll cry and then you'll miss him and then you'll be laughing. And so think of it as tight circles and the circles get bigger and they get bigger. 
and you'll go through a longer season where you're raged out against this guy because he's going to screw up your weekends. He's going to screw up. Like there's a, you know what I mean? It's hard. You, you get pissed off at him, even though you know it's stupid to get pissed off at him and that he was hurting and, and, and. Um, and then you will have this just scorched earth where you feel like you're walking on a, in a desert with no trees, no water, no nothing. And you'll loop back and you'll loop back. But the difference between taking it personal and being heartbroken and blaming yourself, those are different. Do you, do you get the difference of those? I think that's probably the problem I'm having is they're kind of overlapping. Okay. All right. They're, they're kind of infringing on each other. And I think that's, that's kind of what I'm dealing with is I, so a lot of times the, when you, especially when you work a process, when you work a program, there is a, there's a reason behind every feeling. Every feeling is connected to a thought and every thought is connected to an action. Does that make sense? Right. That's, that's the beauty of the steps where this gets out of whack is in the depth of grief, external grief. Right. So they give you the 12 steps so that this thing never happens again. And the challenge to that is underneath you, things happen. Right. And so the steps give you a level of control that a drunk or a drug addict or a sex addict don't normally have or a food addict or whatever. It gives them control over them where it's challenged. It can feel like it's a whole thing's unwound, like you're experiencing right now when when a meteorite hits you. And that's what happened because you can't control for that. Right. And so it makes you think, right. well, why am I even doing these steps? These are stupid. They're dumb. They don't even protect me from fill in the blank. And the hard part is hanging on to what you know works and at the same time going, oh, this happened. Right. That's the difference between blame and. So the steps work, man. They've, you're, you're sober for 14 years. Um, and the path has given you relationships, 2 a.m. friends. It's given you a model for what friendship looks like and connection looks like. And my guess is you're a better husband and a better dad and a better community member and all those things. And this just hurts. They're both and. And sometimes step programs don't do both and very well. It does either or really well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's being able to sit and say, this hurts and not my fault. I was this guy's go to and he did this and not linking the two things together. And it's hard. And this is where journaling is really important because you can separate those two. This is when writing him letters, writing yourself letters in to Rich, Dear Rich, not I, 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 but Dear Rich, this happened and I'm sorry. How would you talk to somebody who called you? How would you call to another sponsor who had their own sponsor? How would you be coaching them right now? You'd be saying, brother, it's not your fault, right? This hurts, and that's, yeah. I'm going to hug you, and we're going to go hang out. We're going to go to the batting cages or whatever, but you didn't do this, right? And so that's that hard right. balance, that hard gap. Um, real quick, and I know this is going to sound gratuitous, and it's not. How did he take his life? Uh, he used a gun. Okay. Was he intoxicated? Yes. Okay. Um, do you remember back when you were drunk? And you did dumb things. You did things that you normally, you look back and go, whoa, whoa. Do you remember those times? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And so what I want you to do, like you spent 14 years learning how to forgive yourself, right? And how to be graceful to yourself. Eventually, you're going to come to look at this man that you loved and that you considered a brother, probably closer than your real brother, if you have one. Yeah. Who was connected to other people, but could never overcome that loneliness that addicts experience. 
could never get that failure to belong. And then worse, he thought for whatever reason, especially when he was drunk or especially when he was low, that he was going to be a burden to you. And he didn't call, right? Right. And I would say that's a choice he made. Man, he was intoxicated. He died by suicide, man. Suicide took his soul from him. And so all that to say, at some point you'll forgive him. You'll make peace with him. And this will, in time, make you a not only world-class, it will make you a gift of a sponsor to everybody around you. Because now I've sat through so many of these things, I'll look people in the eye and smile and say, I'm not letting this happen to you. I'll call in the Calvary on you. I'll call every, does that make sense? It's made me better at being a neighbor, having gone through these things. I wouldn't do it again over in a million years. But over time, you end up making meaning out of these things. But that's not for right now. Right now is just for saying, oh, this sucks. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, you know, I think it, I, I, I can tell myself, this and I can listen to my sponsors and I can listen to people in the program and that's, it's all good. And I get it. I, I totally get it. And everything that you said, I get it. It's not about getting um, it. It's not about getting it. It's about sitting in it. The getting it part is don't go drink. The getting it part is don't throw everything away because this happened. That happening doesn't mean that the last 15 years of your life have been a lie. This mean this what happened yeah. meant that somebody wasn't well and they died by suicide. You didn't fail, brother. You didn't screw up. It's 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 hard not to tell myself that. I know. It, it, it I know. just is. I know. It is. Um, and you're in the middle of it. Okay, you're in the middle of it. Okay. It's you're you're you have little kids. You have kids. I do. Okay. I do. Think yeah. back to the first time you took one of your kids to the pool and they were on a diving board and you're waiting, you're treading water out there trying to get them to jump and they're on the edge of that diving board and they're getting closer and closer, but they just won't go and they bend their knees and they lean over, but they don't jump, they don't jump. And then finally they jump and then they're in that air and it feels like a hundred years they're in that air where they're falling and falling and falling. And finally they hit the water and then dad's there to get them. You just jumped. You're in the air and people can tell you, Hey, there's somebody at the bottom. It doesn't, none of that matters because you're falling. Okay. What I'll tell you is you're surrounded by people who love you. You were there in the water to catch you when you hit. This is not your fault, man. And you can tell yourself that all day. Great. I want you to get it out of your head and I want you to start writing it down. Okay. I want you to spend some time writing it down. I want you to journal about it. And I want you to write letters to two people, to rich and to your old friend. Okay. And in those letters, I want you to be honest with Rich. I want you to be honest with those with um, your friend. And be heartbroken. Be pissed off. Be angry. And exhale. And get up and go again. Don't throw this all away because of that. Got it? We same team on that one? Got it. Yeah, I can do that. Do I got your word? You're going to stay sober? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you, yeah. You're in this for the long haul, brother. We're in this with you. You, you've, you're doing everything right. You just, you're falling. You just suck. Okay. I've been there, been there, been there. I'm having to take a deep breath too, man. You'll hit the water. When you're safe. You got people around you. Hang in there, man. Hang in there. This is not your fault, brother. Let's take a quick break right here on the Dr. John Logan Show. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Be honest. How often do you find yourself pausing in the middle of a day and it feels like there is so much going on and you find yourself wondering, what would I do with just a spare hour or 30 minutes? Can you even imagine? And it's in these moments that we often realize we're living someone else's life. Everyone else's schedules, priorities, and emergencies are driving our lives, and we can't keep carrying this load for everyone and everything. And it's in these moments when it feels like too much or when you need some help parsing through all the chaos that talking to a professional therapist can be a game changer. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you have with boundaries, time, commitments, and your own self-worth. And that can be in relationships with your friends, people at work, your significant other, or even how you can make and keep commitments with yourself. Therapy can be amazing for figuring out what even makes you happy anymore and how to go make it happen. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, try BetterHelp. Because therapy isn't just for people who've experienced trauma. It's great for building skills so you can be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is completely online, so it's flexible enough to fit your schedule. Just fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go to Anna in Oklahoma City. Hey, Anna, what's going on? Hi. Hi, Dr. Don. Thank you so much for taking my call. Of course. Thank you for calling. How in the world are you? I've had better days. Uh Uh-oh. That's an old uh, 90s pop rock song, so let's hear what's going on. Well, uh, my husband and I are newlyweds, and we need help setting boundaries with my parents. (laughs) Oh, sweet. How long have you been married? Well, we've only been married for about four months now. Okay. How's the first four months going, just y'all two? Uh, well, great. Marriage is good with him. Uh, you still like him? Happy. Oh, yes. <laughs> I fall deeper in love with him every day. So oh, gross. You fall nah. deeper in love with him. <laughs> Yuck, Anna. <laughs> no, he's good. <laughs> All right, good. I'm falling deeper in love every day. Hey, I think after four months, my wife was like, oh, jeez. So good for you, Anna. All right, so what's up? Yeah. How can I help? You got a, uh, You got parent boundary issues. Yes. Yes. Tell me about it. What are so, your parents doing? This ought to be great. Oh, man. Well, just to kind of give you context, my parents are very protective, overly protective. And um, just more over the years, I've seen how controlling they are. Um, so when I was 18 years old, I moved out of my parents' house and just got caught up in the party lifestyle and, and <laughs> drugs. <laughs> and so my parents saw that. Um, yes you know, along the way. And I did that for about eight years of my life. And my parents, you know, how to, I mean, that was just hard for them to, to see that, um, over the years. Um, but anyway, along the way around 25 years old, I just kind of came to the end of myself and met the Lord and decided to, you know, turn my life around, went to school, got a degree in match or my bachelor's in biblical counseling and um, started working with women um, at a drug rehab. So awesome. I've been doing that for years and then met my husband along the way. How old are um, you? 
I am 33. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. 33. Yeah. So um, met my husband along the way and, you know, along, you know, these years I haven't really dated um, just because I hadn't met the right one. And so when I met my husband, I just, we knew, we just, we knew that we were supposed to be together. Gross, Anna. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right. Uh, So anyway, I, you know, once that happened, I think my parents' expectations of how that was supposed to look, um, they wanted me to to date for, you know, a couple of years, I guess, before marrying him. So, you know, I talked to my parents. I said, hey, you know, this man, I know he's supposed to be the one, you know. And so they jumped on the bandwagon. And so leading up to just planning the wedding, um, I had a discussion with my mom about um, just the finances. And I said, you know, my husband and I, we're going to pay for it. You guys don't have to worry or feel the pressure about, you know, with the, with the wedding. Um, however, my mom had said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and pay for it. We're going to bless you guys. So with that being said, uh, three weeks before our wedding, uh, my mom said, we're just going to pay for the cake. <laughs> so I'm thinking, are you Sweet. kidding me? And I and she's like, yes, we we're just gonna pay for the cake. Why'd she back I out said, and change her mind? Guys? Yeah, well, when I asked her about it, she said, well, you misunderstood. Oh, sweet. And I'm like, are you? I said, mom. I said, this is not about misunderstanding. I said, you gave me your word. I'm so I happy. Said, I'm not really happy, but oh, okay. So so they gave you. They just paid for the cake, and then by the time it rolled around, they paid for the straws and the salt and pepper shakers, and then yeah. Then okay, so you get you get married, and it's four months down the road, and ugh, you're falling deeper in love every day. What are they, are, what what are they doing? How are they trying to um, exert control over you still? Well, so, well, my parents, they keep saying they don't know my husband and they keep, so just to back up, my husband, and I tried to set boundaries. We met with them, putting them or making a bullet list of just letters um, or a letter of bullet points of things that needed to be dressed. And so they shared it with the whole family, the letter that we had asked them to keep confidential between all four of us. What was so in this, what was I in this feel, letter? Um, so it was just boundaries, basically, you know, be kind. And um, also we just said, we, we, we expect honesty mm-hmm. and we just shared our hearts and my husband and I, we just, we sat down with them. We met with them because, I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and now I live in, in Oklahoma. So we drove out there just to talk to talk to them and share our hearts with them about everything that had happened leading up to the wedding. Are they not? Um, are they generally not kind? Are they? I mean, were you addressing things that you had seen, or were you just stating yes. things? In, okay, so the things in your letter, the bullet points, were things, were behaviors and interactions and relationships you guys had experienced already. Yeah, and so, I mean, even when we're, yes. To yes, get your sorry. relationships off, and, and again, you're not 18, you're 33 for crying out loud, right? Yeah. You've got your own job, he's exactly. got his own job, y'all are, y'all experience yes. things, and then you said, hey, this is how, we're going to go ahead and get this off on the right foot, and yes. y'all bared your soul, and they went and told everybody. Yeah, well, they said that they considered it a threat, 
And um, it was just, it was unbelievable. And I'm thinking, okay, why did you guys even tell all my brothers? Yeah. You know, so now it's like, they, they, so now my brother called me, cussed me out for mm-hmm. about 30 minutes and said, Mm-mm. you know, you need to fix this. You need it. You've betrayed the family. <laughs> and so my mom called me and she said, Anna, you need to come up to, you know, Frisco and talk to the whole family without your husband. And I'm like, so, Are you so here, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. <laughs> yes. You moved out at 18. Yes. For a reason. Yes. And yes, you did whatever. You acted like an 18-year-old, right? And right. you acted like a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old. Here's my guess. Yes. My guess is this type of um, pitting brothers against sisters and this type of lack of trust and this type of immaturity and right. acting like a, a middle school with a, with a power ego power trip has been happening your whole life. And at 18, you went and searched for some sort of connection and sleeping with people and alcohol and drugs are chemically very similar to deep connected relationships. They're shorter Mm -hmm. and they don't last as long and they come with a ton of repercussions, Yeah, but they make sense. Okay. Yeah. And there's a reason why college populations, when you take a kid who's been living at home, even in a messed up home. And you pluck them from everything they know and you send them across the country and you drop them in a box with a bunch of other 18 year olds that alcohol and, and sleeping with somebody, dude, it just, it makes you go for a minute and then you got to go do it again the next day and do it again the next day. But you're, you have young brains screaming for a connection and you didn't have that growing up. You were raised by children and you, now you're 33 Right. There's 10, 11, 12 years later, you circled back to include them. And once again, they haven't changed. They're the same people. And this is the heartbreak for you. And I'll, I'll lay it out systematically. Okay. I'm going to be honest with you. Cool. Cool. Great. Good. Grand. Okay. And, um, you've grown up a lot. You saw the world a lot. Right. You've got experiences a lot. And here's the thing. When you think back between on your 18 to 25 times, you did stuff that you regret, but you also yeah. learned a lot. And you, I bet you met some extraordinary people. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I bet you are more compassionate than most of the people in your life. Right. Yes. And you also realized ah, there's a there's just a more peaceful, better way to live. Right. And so you've yeah. done hard, hard work on Anna. And yeah. now you know what grace in a relationship looks like and strength and boundaries and connection and being vulnerable. You know what those things are. And you met a guy bleh, who you're going deeper in love with every day who shares that with you, right? And by the way, you know I'm, yeah. I'm joking here, right? I'm like yeah. making faces. You know I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for you. So here's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. Yes. It's going to be killing that fantasy that you can loop back and have it all the way you wanted it to be. Because what you're trying to do is collapse the last however many years and make it to where you're 25 and you're getting married again and mom and dad are involved in the wedding and your brothers and your new husband all hang out and go hunting together and they play golf together and they whatever. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because your parents are children. Yeah. Maybe your brothers have grown up. 
Maybe your brothers are a little bit different and mom and dad put them in an unfair position to choose between them and you, which really stinks, right? And maybe going to have a drink with your brother, going to have some coffee with your brother, one-on-one, and you're saying, hey, here's what we're doing, man. And they know your mom and dad, too. They know. Yeah. Right? And they're either reproducing that behavior in their little families or they've grown up and it's different and they got put in an unfair position, right, is what it is. But at the end of the day, you set up your boundaries and said, here's what we expect. We expect people to be kind to each other, to not lie to us. Um, yeah. We want to have fun, safe, laughter, joy-filled holidays together. We want to come down to Dallas. What, it's like a five-hour drive. We want to come down to Dallas and hang out with you all on the weekends. But here's the things. And your parents spit on your boundaries, man. And that's yeah. what they're for. Right. To either be honored or set on fire. And your parents pissed on yours. And so now you got the you got the message. Right. You got your answer. And I hate that for you. So here's what you got to do. You're going to have to be highly intentional about being around adult couples who are older than you and wiser than you and forming some sort of surrogate relationships with couples who are 10 years down the road, who you and your husband will go hang out with, have coffee with. Go, I don't know, whatever you do in Oklahoma. I just feel like Oklahoma is a state of sadness, and so I don't know. I'm just kidding. It's a great place to live. (laughs) All Texans are raised to think, like, if you go to Oklahoma, it all ends, right? But I understand what you're doing, and you're proselytizing. So you're you're spreading the will of Texas up into the north, and I appreciate that. But you're going to have to find some families um, who are going to be the grown-up, wise people who love you and love your husband and invest in you all that your parents should be but are not but aren't if i'm you i would reach out to my brothers one-on-one and by the way two important things nobody cusses me out for 30 minutes they cuss me out for one second because then i hang up the phone i'm not gonna hear that i'm not gonna listen to that at all and i'll tell another grown-up when you're ready to talk like a grown-up we'll have a conversation but i'm out and then maybe a week later two weeks later for somebody i love I'll reach back out and say, you ready to talk like a grown-up? And if they're not, then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. The challenge for you is, and the second challenge is for you to not give over your integrity, not get over, over the growth you've had, to try to crawl back and make them okay. I want you and your husband to get the book. Um, Dad, I just I forget the title every time. You know this one, James. It's, it's parents, it's children of emotionally, adult, adult children of emotionally immature parents. Who wrote that book? It's right there. Susan Gibson, is that it? Lindsay Gibson. So Anna, I want you to get, you and your husband to get the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Dr. Gibson, G-I-B-S-O-N. It's a masterpiece. It's really thin. It's wonderful. You'll probably end up highlighting more of the book than not. I want you all to work through that together. And then I want you to reassess your boundaries, reassess who y'all want to be as a couple, where y'all going to go. What's the picture of what your marriage is going to look like? And y'all live into that. Your parents have opted out and y'all have to grieve that. It's heartbreaking. I hate it for you. I hate it for you. And hopefully your brothers won't opt out. Nothing's worse than getting burdened by two people who said we're supposed to love you. And by the way, you broke their heart when they were 18, 19, 20, so it's true. But they have chosen to not grow with you. They've chosen to be frozen. 
and I'm a rapper now because I just rhymed Chosen and Frozen. Um, they've chosen to remain frozen in their maturity and their love for you. It's still con- it's still got strings. It's still got it's still got like still keeping you guys off kilter. Here y'all are, 33. You got both feeling. Go find a couple today, man. Go find a couple and reach out and start that healing process with new people, man. I'm so, so sorry for you. Take one more. Let's go to Emily in Pittsburgh. Hey, Emily, what's going on? Hey, how are you, Dr. John? We are rocking on to the break of dawn. How about you? Good. I was, you know, cleaning up toys while the Daniel Tiger cleanup song runs through my head. So living the good life. That is not the good life. That's not a good <laughs> life. That's pretty cool. Hey, so what's up? How can I help? Um, so my son is almost two, and last month he was officially diagnosed with um, a significant disability. Okay, what is and it? I also have... Hmm? What's, his, what's the disability? Cerebral palsy. Okay, all right. Okay, um, and um, I also have a four-year-old daughter who... She's developing typically. She's fine, and she loves her brother to pieces. But I have a a two-part question. Um, What can I do to protect her from having, like, jealousy and trauma associated with having a sibling with a disability? Because, like, you hear about that all the time, but, like, I want to know how to kind of help prevent that. Mm -hmm. And then um, also, how can I, you know, give him as much support and attention and understanding as he needs with a disability, but also prevent spoiling him, yeah. you know, like giving him the things and letting him get away with stuff. So like pretty much how do I raise both my kids without the disability getting in the way and causing issues? <laughs> you won't. <laughs> the disability is in the way right. and it, it's caused issues, right? Um, yeah. So number one, I'm going to answer the second part first, and then we'll loop back to that first one, okay? So the second right. part is a you thing, okay? Okay. Have you exhaled this yet? And I'm going to say something that I know is unpopular, and blah, but it's the truth. I've just worked with too many parents with children with um, special needs. Have you grieved this? Have you just yeah. exhaled and been heartbroken? Um, I... I don't know if I can officially say that I have because okay. I'm like, I'm very much in charge of his like organizing his therapy and making right. sure. So like, I feel like I've been very much leaning into the practical side of everything. Yes. And like, what can I do? And what should I do? And I'm actually looking at getting a counselor in okay. the area cool. just because I've realized this is probably <laughs> more than I can handle myself. I th- I think you're going to find yourself infinitely stronger than you ever thought, and you are going. It's going to be imperative for for you to get a community of parents in your area that um, have children who've had similar um, diagnostics or life experiences, and having a community of people you can text and reach out to. All that's important, but at some point, you when you found out you were pregnant, you had a picture mm-hmm. of what this was going to be like, and yeah. the picture is now different. And all I'm asking is, yes, you're going to try to solve this for a while. You're going to try to to channel all of that energy and frustration and heartbreak. And you know his life is going to be hard. And then you're going to have those, oh, my gosh, what about what about if something happens to me and my husband? Like, what? You're going to have all of those things, right? And yeah. to be able to handle those things so that your body doesn't take off on you into anxiety or frustration or those spinning in the middle of the night, which I know you've had. There's a moment when you have to just 
and not a moment, there's a season where you got to grieve it. You thought it was going to be like this and it's not. And you wanted your right. son to grow up and fill in the blank and he's not. It's going to be a different right. experience. Not that you hate him, not that you don't love him, that you're not grateful for him, all that stuff, but you just got to grieve that gap, okay? What I'm telling you is cerebral palsy is something you can run from and solve for. It's something that you're going to experience, right? And that's yeah. a you thing. So how do you not give <laughs> – how do you not um, spoil him? Don't spoil him. Ta-da, <laughs> right? I know that sounds so easy. Um, your identity, your – there's no way for you to make up for the pain he's experiencing. There's no way for you to make up for the challenges he's going to have with ice cream and cookies and staying up late and watching and all those things. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And the tendency is that you're going to want to keep your thumb on the other side of that scale cosmically. And you're going to have to let that go. He still needs to sleep and eat healthy and have boundaries and be respectful to you and be respectful to his sister and all those things. Does that make sense? Right. So, it's working within the parameters of his physical challenge in his, does he have cognitive challenges too? Or are these mostly physical? No, thank goodness. It's mostly, mostly gross motor skills. Okay. Excellent. So, yeah. so he'll know, right. And what you'll be able to teach him about living with his challenges and how he can honor the people in his world and how he can deal with evil little kids that are going to be mean to him and make fun of him and those who are going to rally around him and love him in a way that other kids will never understand, right? It's all of it. Um, but trying to solve for it or hit the other end of, of the cosmic scale is going to be a futile exercise, okay? The second yeah. thing here with your four-year-old, two yeah. important things here. Number one, you're, I'm piling it on here, and I know. You're going to have to make special you and daughter time. Whether that's hiring a middle school kid to come over and just be in the house with you while you and your daughter make something or go watch. I don't know what your financial situation is or if your husband comes and can deal with it or whatever. But having carved out time, whether it's one day a week or two days a week with a four-year-old or a little bit of time every day, that they that she just gets you. And this is highly intentional. No phone, no anything other than eye contact, on the floor, playing, creating worlds Lots of touch, lots of interaction, but this is letting her know that you see her. Does that make sense? Is there like, is there like a certain amount of time? I know you can't like quantify it, but like we've been trying to do, I guess some people call it tuck-in time where like he goes to bed first since he's younger and then she gets like 10 to 15 minutes of just whoever's putting her to bed that night, like of just their time she can choose whatever we're playing. 10 to 15 minutes get, probably is not enough. If that's, that's the best you, if that's the best you got, that's the best you got. Okay. Everyone's got to do what they've got to do. Now, I know there's um, a single mom with three kids right now. One of them's got special needs, and five or ten minutes is two hours of their life because work, she's working three jobs. I get that. 10 to 15 minutes, if that's what you got, that's what you got. If you've got another partner at home who's able to do bedtimes on certain nights and yeah. you're able to just have ice cream night – and you know how I am about sugar. Take your kid out from ice cream. Take your kid out right. on, we go to the park um, from six to eight. And we may miss a family dinner once a week because it's just us. It's special girl time or it's daddy and daughter time. Right? Whatever that looks like, you and your husband are going to have a season that's going to be different than folks with um, physical or neurotypical kids. You're going to have a, a, right. a couple of years where you're going to have to split up a couple of times a week and make sure there's some highly intentional time. 
But here's the second part. And I learned this from one of my professors, Dr. Aretha Marbley. She's one of the most brilliant women I've ever met. And she helped my family. And my kids are, are typical kids. And it has, I've, I've given this, I've passed this along to every parent of any type of kids. And it's been magical. And that is beginning to refer to your son, or to your daughter, refer to your little boy as hers. We're going to yeah. go help out your brother. We're going to go help out your baby and bring her along for the ride. Let her have ownership is the key word. Give her a couple of jobs that she can do that are um, she's able to do, like whether it's physically or cognitively, but let her have ownership of the care and love of her little brother. And what happens is she will get frustrated because she's four. Right? She's not going to be able to wrap her head around this stuff. And I never get mad at a four-year-old for being selfish because that's what four-year-olds do. I don't get mad at seven-year-olds or 11-year-olds for being selfish or frustrated. Right, But I continue right. to model it, number one. Number two, I keep bringing them back in. I keep bringing them back into, hey, this, you're part of the care and love. This is what care and love looks like in our house. And the trauma part, she may ask hard questions like, why him and not me? Y'all will experience those questions as they go. The trauma is going to be different for her because this is all she knows. You and her will right. have different trauma, okay? Because you know a different picture she will not. This is just what brothers are. It won't be till she goes to college and learns that, oh, your brothers are different. It goes to high school, right? Um, this will right. be her experience. But give her some jobs, some participation, some relational um, uh, support that she can provide and give her ownership. And she will grow into that in a really remarkable way. And, of course, she's going to have temper tantrums. Of course, she's not going to want to do it and blah, blah, blah. That's part of being four. But some yeah. very specific time and some um, ownership there. And, Kelly, you've got this experience. Do you, you have any I do. Thoughts? Hi, Emily. I have special. I have uh, two special needs kids at home as well. Um, I'm going to rebut just a hair of what you rebut said. Rebut all of it, dude. Um, <laughs> with the giving them a job. Uh-huh. I see where you're going with that, but it's also super important to make sure that the typical developing child knows that this is not their responsibility. Correct. Their participation, not their And that's a big their, deal their in making sure yes. that your daughter knows that your son is, I mean, she doesn't have to become the little mama. Correct. She doesn't have right. to spend all of her time and not do things that she would normally do. You know, she still needs to be a kid. So I recently, I was thinking about that and I wondered, um, so I've been trying to phrase when I ask her to help specifically with something with Ben, not necessarily something like around the house that's, you know, her responsibility, but um, I try to say, hey, would you like to go get his toy for him? If you don't want, you don't have to. Right. Would that be like a good way of approaching that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same things you would if he was a typical developing baby. You know, a little yeah. a little brother. Yeah. Which you would ask them to help with that. So just right. making not piling on because they can't do this. So you have to. And there are going to be some things where you do have to they have to step up, you know, with ours are teenagers now. And so which is its own, you know, monster. But <laughs> there's things that, you know, when the basketball goes rolling down the hill, I'm sorry, but your sister can't go get it. She's in a wheelchair. Go get the yeah, go get you got to go get the ball. Yeah. You know, and they don't want to, but you make them because they have to. <laughs> or no, you have to hold the door for her because she can't get it. Right. So there's right. things that they have to do, but you also have to let them be a kid as well. Uh, going right. back to something John said about grieving it, that took us years 
and was one of the biggest things we did. And real quickly, there's a story called The Tulips in Holland that it's kind of passed around yeah. special needs families that you plan for this trip to Italy and you study Italian, you know all the places you're going to go, you have your whole trip planned, you have the money that's, you know, that you're going to use there and everything is planned. And then you get off the airplane and you're in Holland. Well, that's not what you planned. You don't know anything about it. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how to speak the language, but it's pretty. And then, but you have to let go of Italy and go, you know what? We're going to stay here because we're not, Italy's not an option now. So I have to let go of that. But man, aren't the tulips pretty here. So it's the whole idea of you have to let that go. And that's hard to do because you had plans. And I guarantee your husband had plans for this little boy. Yeah. I think I think it's much harder on him because he can't be as much involved in like the day to day, like you know everything else that's going on. He feels like he has very little control over what's going on. Yeah, and that's his son, and that's a lot harder. But you know now that just changes, and so Mm y'all, you really do have to spend the time. Um, There was a lot of tears with us, and it took us a long time to do that. Of man, what are the things that aren't going to happen that you wish would? And we had to say it to each other. I mean, this isn't going to happen. You know, we're never going to do this together. Um, no, but then later on you figure out, no, but we will do this other thing. And it's really cool too. But you have to get over it. Don't think that's selfish. You have to do that part. That's right. Yeah. And Kelly, it's, I love that you made that great differentiation. Yeah. This is not your four-year-old's child to raise, right? Right. It's teaching her. Hey, let me put it this way. In my house, we have certain chores that the kids do that we don't give them an allowance for. Because mm-hmm. there is just a participation. This is just, just some things you do to be a part of a family. And then if you want to do some extra jobs that normally mom and dad do or that I might hire out, then I'll pay you for that, right? So we're not going to pay you for taking um, your plate over after dinner or wash or wiping your stuff into the trash and putting your dishes in the dishwasher. That's called being a human, mm-hmm. right? Same here, but giving, I like that the ownership, but not responsibility. That's a great that's a great differentiation. Yeah, and some other things, John. You know that when you asked about um, not spoiling him, and that's hard to do. It is because you want to make up for it. Yeah. I feel bad, whatever that you know that there this this happened or whatever. But he right. he needs to have consequences um, within mm-hmm. his physical boundaries of whatever he whatever he is able to do. He has expectations, just like your daughter has expectations of what yeah. she's supposed to do. Um, and especially since he is, um, you know, neurotypical as far as he doesn't have any delays mentally, that, you know, he has to be respectful. He has to do his homework when that time comes. He has to do this. And, you know, these are the chores that he can do. So he is expected to do them. Be it how, I mean, you know, sometimes my daughter picks up sticks out of the yard whenever, after a storm, because it's what she can do. But she's expected to do it. She's expected to do it well. And right. so that, he he needs those because things will be expected of him because he probably will move into the real world because he is, you know, typically developing mentally. And so he'll have yeah. to know how to do those things. And it's just, you know, when they ask the questions of why did this happen? And just sometimes we have to go, I don't know, but it sucks. And I'm so sorry. But we always tell my daughter, the only thing that her wheelchair gets her is front of the line at Disney and better parking. That's right. <laughs> And that's it, because everything else, well you're, this, is, this is how our house functions, and you're a part of that, and you have to do your part. I love it, love it, love it. And Emily, so here's what I want you and your husband to do, um, and this is not going to be hard, okay? I want you all to write a letter to your 16-year-old son, and I want you to read it to each other. 
And in this letter, I want you to write about the things you're going to miss. I'd expected that we'd be playing catch. I had in my head this fantasy that we were going to go play golf together or whatever the thing is. And I want you to be honest about the things you're going to miss. You might have already, Sheila's already planning for who's going to be sitting around our table at Thanksgiving when Hank and Josephine, our kids are, you know, I mean, it's just, you go down that rabbit trail. And then I want you to write about the things, the possibilities, but I am excited about, and I want you to read this letter to each other. And this will start a conversation between you and your husband, like Kelly was talking about this grieving, this, oh man, we thought this. I don't even know that I thought this. I just expected that. And it's not. And you'll start that grieving process, but you'll also start, as she mentioned, you'll start noticing the tulips in Holland because that's where you live now. That's where you live. Kelly, thank you so much for talking about your situations. And Emily, thank you so much for that call, for being vulnerable. And um, we wish you the absolute grandest adventures, raising two little ones, four and two by themselves on any given Wednesday are, (laughs) that's a lot. Woo! Differentiating and supporting a child with special needs who's two and then a typical four-year-old, that's going to be an adventure of a lifetime. And um, thank you for sharing that with us. All right, as we wrap up today's show, man, this, is, it, this one is. This is one of those that actually is one of my favorite songs of all time. Love it with all of my heart. It's off the permanent vacation record, The Boys in Aerosmith, Steven Tyler and the Gang. In their greatest slow dance love song of all time. Just one word. Angel. And it goes like this. I'm alone. Yeah, and I don't know if I can face the night. And I'm in tears. And the crying that I do is for you. And I want your love. Let's break the wall between us. Don't make it tough. I'll put away my pride. Enough's enough. I've suffered. And I've seen the light. Seen the light. I think I nailed that note. You're my angel. Come and save me tonight. You're my angel. Come and make it all right. You're my angel. Come and save me tonight. Right here on the Dr. John Deloney Show. <laughs> <laughs>